Well, good morning, Cornerstone, and Happy New Year to all. Um, a warm welcome to any visitors that we may have with us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Risk, and I've been preaching along with others here at Cornerstone while our minister, Campbell Markham, is away. Uh, today we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians, and today we're looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. I please do have your Bibles open up in front of you as we work from our passage today. But before we do get into it, please let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord, we thank you for this time when we can come together to learn from your word. Our Father, I pray be with us today. Grow us and mature us by the work of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would be working in each of our lives as we work through this passage. Father, I pray be with me now as I preach from your word. Anoint me for this task. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I wanted to immerse myself in Christianity. I wanted to know more. So what did I do? Well, I bought a whole lot of Christian books. But truth be told, I didn't know what was a good book and what was a bad book. So I bought some books that were good, some books that were okay, and uh, sadly some books that have now been discarded and put in the bin. Uh, there are some books out there that are claiming to be Christian, but I'm going to say right now, they're not. And better they use better they be used for fire starting rather than for the growth and maturity of God's church. Uh, it's a dangerous thing for a new Christian to be deceived by those that are claiming to be Christian, but are not. And sadly, all too often, I've actually walked into Kurong and thought a lot of the books there are dangerous and deceptive, and better they not have been printed at all. Uh, why do I say this? I say this because I think one of the greatest threats to the Christian faith, those that are claiming to be promoting Christ, but they are rather, they are promoting a false gospel. Are these false teachers who are saying that we are to live for God by doing these certain things, living this lifestyle, promoting this Christianity through their distorted lens? But what we find is that what they're saying is contrary to Scripture. What are these false teachers doing? Well, they're not preaching the gospel. They are not teaching a lifestyle living for Christ, first reflecting what Christ has done for us and is continuing to do in our lives. A teacher that is claiming to be teaching Christ and yet has distorted the gospel is a very dangerous thing. For I think it's a whole lot easier to spot out a lie when it's obvious, but a whole lot harder to pick out when the lie contains some sort of truth. And sadly, that's what these false teachers are doing. They will mix the truth with lies and deception. Our friends, last fortnight we looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Living for Christ. 
And one of the points we covered was not being taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Being warned about not finding fulfillment in man-made religions or lifestyles, which seems on the outside fulfilling, but on the inside are just empty lies. In our passage today, Paul is continuing on this wavelength, and he is continuing to tell the church to live for Christ. And today he is reminding the church to hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. Paul is reminding the church to hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. And our passage outlines three ways in which we are to do this. First, don't give in to the judgment of others. Don't give in to the judgment of others. Second, don't give in to the deception of false teachers. Don't give in to the deception of false teachers. And our third point, don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin. Don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin. Uh, let's look at the first of our three points together. Our point number one, don't give in to the judgment of others. Uh, first, let's remind ourselves of what is happening in the church in Colossae. Uh, the church is being forced to conform to those around them. The gospel is being undermined. They are being pressured by those that hold on to paganism, those that hold on to Judaism, and perhaps some sort of religious mysticism that conflates paganism and Judaism together. Uh, in our passage today, Paul is giving us greater insight into what this philosophy, uh, this religion that is being forced onto the church. And as we start in our passage, what do we see? We see the word, therefore. Therefore is reminding us what we have been told previously. Our last fortnight, we were covered that we are to live for Christ. Uh, why should we live for Christ? Well, in Him we have been saved. In Him we have been reconciled. In Him we have life. In Him we find God. Paul says, therefore, since you are living for Christ in light of what He has first done for you, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. Uh, reading verse 16, there seems to be a greater push against those that would be promoting a Jewish philosophy, seeking life through upholding the law. Uh, in Judaism, uh, there were requirements to abstain from certain food, for it was deemed unclean. Uh, in regards to drink restrictions, there were restrictions for priests not to drink in the temple. Uh, for Nazarites, they were to abstain from wine altogether. Uh, in Judaism, there was also requirements to keep religious festivals. And of course, to keep the Sabbath. Uh, for a first century Christian, there was a lot of information. A lot of information wasn't out there. I can imagine that there would have been greater difficulty because of that, discerning what is right and what is wrong. After all, they wouldn't have the Bible in the form that we have it today. I can imagine for those in Colossae, they would have the Septuagint, 
Uh, the Septuagint is the Old Testament, which has been translated into the Greek. Uh, they would have been familiar with some of Paul's writings, but not necessarily have them. Uh, they definitely have heard the gospel, but even perhaps by this time, the four gospels have not yet been written. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is that there was not a lot of information out there. And because of that, the church in Colossae would still be working things out. They aren't standing on the shoulders of giants of whom we stand on today. I'm thinking of such people like Augustine, like Luther, Calvin, Knox, Owen, Spurgeon. The list goes on. Therefore, I can only imagine that it would be a whole lot harder to say no to the, practice which, to the practices which hold some grounds for being true. It would be hard to say no to some of the Jewish teaching when it held some truth. In the first century, friends, dealing with Jewish practices was something that the early church had trouble with. Uh, we know that there was a group called the Judaizers, those who claimed to be Christian but were still promoting the law and demanding that certain rituals like circumcision would still be continued. I hear the church in Colossae is being pressured and being judged that those not holding on to aspects of Judaism, they're being told that what they're doing is wrong. These false teachers are, be, are saying that to know God, to be right with God, they need to do these things. But what does Paul do? Well, Paul speaks against them. And he tells the church not to conform to what they are saying. He instructs them that these things should not be done. He says, don't do them. Why? Well, have a look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Are the words shadow is used as a means of showing that, is, that is something is temporary and gives the impression that something that is real, however, it's only a representation of what is real. Paul is saying here that the Jewish law, what the Colossian church is being judged against in regards to food, drink, festival, new moons, and the Sabbath, are these things were all pointing to Christ. For they were all fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, don't do them. They have been fulfilled in Christ. Now, let me pause here for a second and address the question that some may be having in regards to the Sabbath. Of whether the Sabbath is being dismissed here by the Apostle Paul and wondering whether or not Paul has said the Sabbath no longer stands. I don't think Paul is saying the Sabbath has been done away with. But he is saying that the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. The Sabbath did not always point to a one-in-seven-day one rest. However, points to a rest and dwelling with God. The Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ and looks forward to being able to rest with God. Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, has made it possible to be reunited and reconciled back to God where the Christian looks forward to being in the presence of God for eternity. The Christian looks forward to the return of Christ, 
when the resurrection will happen. And we who have remained rooted in Christ and have not wavered in the faith will dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. This is why we do church on Sundays. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. We celebrate and remember what Christ has done. That he has conquered death for us. And that in him we have life. We fix our eyes on the hope that we have in Christ. A few weeks ago it was mentioned that the whole Bible finds its yes in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the redemptive promises of God. This is why we proclaim Jesus. This is why we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ with warning and with teaching. Here Paul is warning about those that will judge and those that will say that we need to add to Christianity, that there are extra things we need to do. But what does Paul teach us? Well, he teaches us that all the work, every observance has been what? It has been fulfilled in? It has been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, the only thing we need to do is to hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. Let me ask you, are you doing this? Are you holding firm to Christ? Are you staying united to Him? Are we holding on to Christ? Or are we following other practices that are promoting a false gospel? Paul is saying here that we have found fulfillment. In Christ, we don't need to go looking for something else. For we have already found everything in Him. So don't give in to the judgment of others, but hold firm to Christ and stay united in Him. Don't give in to the judgment of others, but hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. We move now on to our second point. Point number two. Don't give in to the deception of others. Looking now at verse 18. Uh, Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. As such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Uh, Not only were the Colossian church being judged for what they were doing, but they were also being told that they weren't worshipping properly. Uh, These false teachers were saying that they need to live a life of humility, that they needed to live a life that denied the body of certain pleasures. Uh, This could be a result of pagan influence, that to deny the body and to deny the world was to bring you into closer relationship with God. Uh, It could also be a Jewish influence of abstaining from certain food and drink in accordance to the law. Uh, And it's also been suggested by commentators that the denying of self was to prepare them visions. That the denying of self as a means to prepare prepare them for visions makes a lot of sense. Having visions was their claim as to why they had special authority. It was through these visions that these false teachers knew better. That the secrets of knowing God had been made known to them. 
Uh, there's always been throughout history uh, people who have claimed that God has given them visions, that there was a new teaching that had been revealed to them, that there was more that was left unsaid outside of Scripture. I reckon most of us here would be familiar with Joseph Smith, uh, you know, the founder of Mormonism, or what we might know better as the Church of Jesus Christ and of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Joseph Smith claimed to have visions from God. And it was these visions which he recorded and led to the religion we know today as Mormonism. Uh, here in the first century, we can see that this has already started. The, there are those that have claimed to have seen things, that they have been given insight, that they are making claims that they have received a vision, that the church needs to live a certain lifestyle and give up the pleasures of this world. That the church would deny themselves, but not only deny themselves, what else were they saying? Oh, they were saying to the church that they need to worship the worship of angels. Our text says the worship of angels. Oh, what does that mean? A, a traditional reading has always said that these false teachers were promoting worship given to angels, perhaps done as a means of warding off evil. However, recently it has also been suggested that it's perhaps the worship performed by angels. Uh, this reading is also plausible in that these supposed visions that they had, they had been given insight in how the angels were worshipping God and that we were to worship God that way too. Uh, in the original Greek, it could be translated either way. So short answer, we don't know. But what we do know what we do know is that these false teachers are saying to the church in Colossae that they have been given insight. They have been given the truth. They are saying to the church that to know God, you need to keep certain practices. You need to deny yourself. And you need to worship the way that we are worshipping. The worship of angels. But what does Paul say to all this? Well, he says that they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Uh, these false teachers have promoted a lifestyle of humility, but they are so filled with pride. They are saying, look at them. Take notice of them. Notice their superiority. Notice the visions they have. Recognize their insight. And Paul says, don't. Don't. Because ultimately these visions they have, the authority they have, well, it's made up. It's man-made. Paul goes further in verse 19 and says, they have lost connection with the head. They have lost connection with Christ. Friends, it's only through Christ that the church grows and matures. It is through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit that we are filled with all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Outside of Christ, you cannot know how to live a life of fulfillment. Why? For complete fulfillment is found only in Christ alone. How are you going with this? How are you going with this? Are you allowing yourself to be grown and matured by Christ? 
Or are you falling into the trap of allowing man-made traditions or false teaching to influence you? That you are seeking to grow spiritually through them rather than through Christ. Our friends, if we have fallen into this trap, let's remind ourselves with what Paul is saying here. That it's only by being connected to Christ, our head, that we can grow as God causes us to grow. Therefore, don't give in to the deception of false teachers, but hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. Don't give in to the deception of false teachers, but hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. We we now move on to our third and final point. Point number three. Don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin. Looking now at verses 20 and 21. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not, ta- do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul is saying that you have been given new life in Christ. Your old self died with Christ. You are no longer controlled by the earthly authorities, those man-made traditions, the created things of this world, which were competing for your attention, trying to fulfill the desires you had, those former addictions, those former sins that we sought after, hoping that they would give us fulfillment. But what do we learn about them? Or we learned that they were just empty lies, that they were deceptive, that they were hollow. And we learned that you, you have died with Christ. You have been given fulfillment in Christ. You have been given new life in Christ. You are no longer bound by the rules of this world. Why? Because of Christ. Verse 15 of chapter 2 has told us that Christ, through His death, has disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ has won. He has already put them to shame. There is no need to be fighting off the world, fighting off the desires of sin through man-made religion, which is telling us not to handle, not to taste, not to touch. We are to avoid those that are promoting a false gospel. These false teachers who are saying that they know better. That to conquer the world, to conquer sin is done through abstaining through certain practices. To be avoiding sin through human means. Paul tells us in verse 22 that these practices, they will perish with use. Uh, What Paul is saying saying here is that these practices will not hold. They will not be able to help us long term. Uh, It's a new year, isn't it? And I wonder how many of us have made a New Year's resolution. Perhaps saying this year, I will be more loving to my husband or my wife. I will work on strengthening our marriage. Making a promise that this year will be a new year. This year I will not give in to the temptations of the flesh, lasting after things with my eyes and with my mind. No, this year, 2019, I will be a better person. I will look out for others 
rather than putting myself first. 2019, it's a new year. It's a new me. But like most New Year's resolutions, they don't last. A promise that started so well eventually falters. It just perishes. Uh, Why don't these promises hold? Why don't good intentions and avoiding certain practices have any power over sin? Our passage tells us it's because it's man-made. The only way we're ever going to grow, ever going to be able to conquer sin, able to be made more holy, made more mature in our faith is how? Well, it is through Christ and the work He has done. We are to come to Christ, praying that He will continue to work in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit, that He would continue to transform us, that by His strength and Him working powerfully in us, that sin can be put to death each and every day. And Lord willing, next week we will look at how we can overcome sin with Christ's help. For we can't overcome sin by ourselves. Our making a New Year's resolution has appeal. Abstaining from sin sounds like a good idea. And on the surface it shows to have some sort of merit or wisdom. But just like verse 23 tells us, they can't help conquer sin completely. What can conquer sin completely? Well, it's only Christ and the work He has done. Christ has destroyed the worldly authorities. Our old selves have died in Him. It is in Christ that we can conquer sin because He has first conquered sin for us on the cross. Verse 14 tells us that all our sin was nailed to the cross. It was there that sin was beaten. Jesus took our punishment He died the death meant for us. And He conquered death itself by rising again three days later. And we will, and through Christ in Him, we will rise again also. And we will dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Our friends, if you have made a New Year's resolution if you've made promises in your own strength that you can overcome sin, then I encourage you to repent and run back to the source. Run back to Jesus who has conquered sin and who will provide you with the means of conquering sin in your own life. Don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin, but hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. Don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin, but hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. I want to end with this final exhortation. Live for Christ. Live for Christ. How? By staying rooted in Him, reminding yourself and reminding others about the promises that have been secured in Christ. 
In Christ, we have been given life. In Christ, sin has been beaten. In Christ, sin has been conquered. Those false teachers that are around us, especially those that are claiming and promoting a false gospel, they are claiming to know how to live life that will make you a better person, claiming how you can conquer sin. But our passage tells us that their teaching is false. If you are following it, stop and go back to God. Go back to the source. Come back to Christ. Live for Him. Live for God by coming back to His Word. And how His Word proclaims Christ. How His Word proclaims Christ with teaching and with warning. Teaching us what Christ has done. So friends, don't give in to the judgment of others. Don't give in to the deception of false teachers. Don't give in to the quick fix solution for overcoming sin. But hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. On that note, let's spend some time in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord, we thank You for this time in Your Word. Uh, We pray, Father, that despite the pressures of this world, our Lord, the false teachers that are around us, uh, the devil's schemes, or even even the temptations that happen in our own minds and thoughts, our Lord, we pray that You would provide us with the means to hold firm to Christ and stay united to Him. Father, help us by the power of Your Holy Spirit to grow and mature in Christ that we may be able to stand firm and rooted in Christ and we would not waver to the pressures that are around us. Our Father, we pray that in everything we do that you would walk before us and guide our steps. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.